when the prophet Nathan confronted King David after his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Bathsheba's husband Uriah, David took a long, deep look into the mirror. And what he saw crushed him. What if we took a long, deep look into the mirror? What would we see? Would what we see crush us? Would what God sees uh, please Him or displease Him? God then sent the uh, prophet Nathan to confront David. You can read that uh, confrontation in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1-7 through 7 and following. David recognized his sin and recognized the seriousness of, of his sin, and he cried out to God in a prayer recorded in Psalm 32 and also in Psalm 51. I want to invite us to turn to Psalm 51 today as we look at this prayer uh, closely as we continue to prepare our hearts for September, for August. We're preparing our hearts also for our Daring Faith campaign that kicks off August 13th, the study itself. Last week our sermon was recognize the seriousness of sin. You remember what we said? We said, first of all, sin is rooted in rebellion. Sin is rooted in rebellion. We are born with a natural inclination to sin. We're, nature, we're sinners by nature and by choice. And then we said sin is relational. David said, against you and you only have I sinned. He's speaking to God. Sin is relational. It always disrupts fellowship with God. And then we said sin is forgivable. David realized how far away from God he was. He needed new life breathed into his soul. He pleaded with God to create in him a new heart, to renew in him a steadfast spirit. David was finally, finally, after months of thinking he had covered all of this up, broken by his sinful, selfish actions which were detestable in God's sight. We made this statement last week. We will never meet God in revival until we meet Him in brokenness. So this morning, we're looking at brokenness, the prerequisite for personal revival. Let's define brokenness. I'll get this to you. You may or may not have time to write it down. Brokenness is the condition of being so crushed by sin and darkness in our lives that we humbly confess, repent, and return to God. So follow with me as we read this entire psalm, Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities." Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud to you of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. 
For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. What do we see here this morning about brokenness? What do we need to understand? Well, first of all, brokenness leads to confession. David confesses his heart. He confesses that he has done this evil in God's sight. Using three different words here to describe how he had failed God. It, it, it takes deep humility to own up to our sin and to take responsibility for our actions. And that's exactly what David finally got around to. What does human nature lead us to do with our sin? What does pride lead us to do? Well, we rationalize our sin, don't we? I mean, she should not have been on that balcony in the middle of the day. That's rationalization. Or we discount our sin. My sin was not that bad. I just made a mistake. We try to dress up sin and call it by a different word instead of saying, I sinned. Or we deny our sin. We say, I refuse to admit I'm, I'm guilty. Or we deny that that behavior or that choice was really a sin. Oh, that wasn't really a sin. Or we grade our sin through our eyes rather than through God's eyes. We hold our sin up against other person's sins instead of holding up our sin against God's standard. Or we dismiss responsibility. It's His fault. He or she caused me to do this. We blame others for our sin. David finally said in verse 3, I acknowledge my transgressions. Nancy Lee DeMoss said the single greatest hindrance to our experiencing personal revival is our unwillingness to humble ourselves and confess our desperate need for His mercy. A broken heart, a contrite, penitent spirit, these go hand in hand. To, to be contrite means to be deeply, deeply remorseful, deeply sorrowful. We see David's testimony in a in chapter 32, verse 5, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Confession is healthy. It's the first step back to a refreshed and restored relationship with God. Look at the effects of, of unconfessed sin, at least in David's life. David was miserable with guilt. He was miserable with guilt. We see in chapter 32, verses 3 and 4. David's spirit was wrong. David's spirit was wrong. We see in uh, chapter uh, 51, the last part of verse 10. A steadfast spirit refers to an, an humble reliance upon the Lord, living in the Lord's strength. David had taken his eyes off the Lord. He's let his guard down. He wasn't steadfast. He wasn't relying on, the, relying on the Lord day by day by day. And he fell into temptation and he gave in. David lost his sense of the sense of God's presence. We see in verse 11. His sin disrupted fellowship with God. He didn't have that close, he didn't feel as near to God as he once did. David lost the joy of his salvation. We see in verse 12. Sin robs our joy because we're out of fellowship with God. David lost the song in his heart. 
We see in verse 14, because of his sin and his attempt to bury his sin, this cover-up that he, he attempted, instead of dealing with his sin, he could not sing, there's within my heart a melody, because the melody wasn't there any longer. He'd lost the song in his heart. Confession is required if we're to be right with God and if we desire revival to come. Evan Roberts, one of the leaders of the Welsh Revival, said, Every sin must be confessed to God. Any wrong to man must be put right. Everything doubtful must be removed at once out of our lives. Obedience to the Spirit of God must be implicit and prompt. Folks, there comes a time when praying should give way to confession and cleansing. Are you willing to ask God to show you the sin in your life that needs to be confessed? Are you willing to deal with the sin in your life when God shows it to you? Second, brokenness points to God's mercy. Brokenness points to God's mercy. David knew God well enough to know His attributes. He knew God was a God of mercy. So, so David opens this this prayerful plea with a plea for an appeal for mercy. The word here is hesed, God's loyal love, God's covenant love, God's covenant mercy. In all his unworthiness, even with his blatant sinfulness, David knew he still belongs to God. God's not going to disown him. And drawing nearer still, David appeals to God's tenderness in the second word for mercy, loving kindness. Old Testament scholar Dave, uh, Derek Kidner wrote, it is akin to the New Testament's word for being moved with compassion. And then David appeals to the multitude of God's tender mercies in chapter 51, verse 1. He, see, man has a multitude of sins. God has a multitude of mercies. So underline these three words that God uses here. Mercy speaks of God's assistance to the pitiful. Loving kindness or unfailing love speaks to the continuing operation of His mercies. Tender mercies refer to God's compassion towards sinners who come back to Him in confession and, and repentance. So what was David asking? What was David's prayer? What was David's plea? His prayer was, Lord, don't deal with me according to, to what I am, but according to what You are. He knew David's nature. He knew, or, or God's nature. David knew God's attributes. That's what these words point to, God's nature. God's, God's mercy is certain because God never changes and God never wavers. God's mercy is inexhaustible. He never runs out of mercy. Two young girls were standing on the deck of a ship one morning, early one morning, and the older asked the younger, isn't it a beautiful day? And look at the horizon, how beautiful it is. And the younger girl asked the older girl, what is a horizon? The older girl pointed off in the distance and explained, see there where the, the sea rises up to the sky and where the sky drops down to touch the sea? That's, that's a, a horizon. And when you get there, it will not be there anymore. It'll be gone. And there will be another and another and another because the horizon is always farther on. God's mercy is just like that, just like the horizon. Just about the time you think you've reached your limit, you discover there's even more mercy and love and grace. Aren't you thankful that God is full of mercy? 
and full of grace. Third, brokenness brings a clean heart. When David pled with God for a clean heart, he asked God for nothing less than a miracle. This is a a creation word. It's the the term for what God alone can do. It can can refer to a a single act of creation or it can refer to to the process of of creation, a sustained process. It's the same word used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, or verse 3 rather, chapter 2, verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. In this context, in the creation story, the writer of Genesis is referring to to the seven-day process of creation. So a sustained process. With the words heart and spirit, David goes right to the springs of life. You remember Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And then verse 12's request is parallel to verse 10. You notice the earlier verbs. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your your generous spirit. Blot out my transgressions, David pled. uh, Verse 1. Wash me thoroughly. Verse 2. Cleanse me from sin. Verse 2. Purge me with hyssop. Verse 7. Wash me. Verse 7. Make me hear joy and gladness, verse 8. Hide your face, verse 9. Blot out, verse 9. Create, renew, verse 10. Do not cast me away, do not take, verse 11. Restore, verse 12. Uphold, verse 12. Deliver me, verse 14. Look at the verbs he uses. David wanted God to give him a a complete makeover. A total cleansing. Twice David asked God to blot out. Verse 1 and verse 9. Ancient writing was was done on papyrus. And the ink used contained no acid. So it did not bite into the papyrus as modern ink would. It simply lay on top of the the writing material, the papyrus. And so to erase it, the writing, someone might just take a, a wet sponge and simply wipe the writing away. And that's what David's saying. Take your sponge of mercy, God, and wipe away the sin from my life and give me a clean heart and give me a clean start. That's what God does. God blots out the sin of the person who is broken and contrite and turns to Him and confesses to Him and asks forgiveness from Him. Sin leaves a stain in our lives that only God can cleanse. Only God can wash it away. But God is willing to do that. There is no sin too large or too small that God cannot forgive. But first, we must turn to Him in brokenness. Fourth, God brings a fresh start. God brings a fresh start. Not only does God create a new heart, but He also gives a fresh start. When we acknowledge, confess our sins, God is willing to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
to cleanse us of everything in our life that is dirty and unholy. God restores us, verse 12. The word means to, to, uh, to renew or to repair. When we turn from our sin and brokenness and confession and repentance, God gives us a new beginning. We should be different because we've been forgiven. We should be different because we've been restored to fellowship with God. Look at, look at what was different in David's life. What, what was different? As you read Psalm 51, what was different in David's life? Well, first of all, he, he gained a sense, a new sense of God's presence. Look at verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. What do you think David was thinking when he made this appeal that, that became verse 11 in our Bible? Possibly he was remembering the time in, uh, in Saul's life when the Bible tells us time and again that, that the Holy Spirit came upon Saul to enable him and to empower him to, to lead his army to victory. Yet, because of his disobedience, David was chosen to serve in King Saul's place. And what happened? Well, we see in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, God took His hand off Saul's life, and from that day forward, the man who had so much promise and so much potential let his natural paranoia take over, leaving him filled with anger, leaving him filled with resentment and with envy and Saul became jealous of David. David's sinful actions separated him from God, and he didn't want God to take his hand off his life. He didn't want God to abandon him. He knew what it was like to live apart from, from a strong sense of God's presence. He never wanted to experience that again. When we ask the question, why don't I feel as close to God today as I once did? Why don't I feel as close to God as I used to? What, what happened to my excitement about my relationship with God? What happened to my closeness? Folks, the answer is sin is in the way. The answer is we need to search our hearts and search our lives and find out what it is that's taking us apart from God because He's not the one who has moved. Sin is in the way. We must deal with the sin in our lives if we want to have a new sense of God's presence. But not only that, second, David had a, a renewed sense of, of joy. Joy comes from God working within us. Joy comes from the presence of God being free to, to live His life in us without any disruption or without any hindrances, encumbrances. Joy comes from God's presence living within us. Joy comes when we obey God rather than disobey God. He had a renewed sense of joy. But not only that, third, David developed a vibrant testimony. A refreshed person wants to share his experiences with others. He doesn't want to keep it to himself. He's got a testimony that, that has to be shared, a story that has to be told. He wants to do everything he or she can to bring others closer to God. Now that David has been delivered from the guilt of bloodshed and other sins, as we see in verse 14, David could teach. He was free to mentor. Remember, teachers who are handling the Word of God and who are sharing spiritual truth week after week after week are held to a higher standard. Do you remember that? The book of James addresses that. See verse 13, he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. 
Now David has the freedom to teach. David has the freedom to help develop other persons. David can, can share what happened in his life. I wonder if he's talking about Old Testament discipleship. A believer who is older in the faith, taking a younger believer under his or her wing and, and, and pouring into him and helping to develop their spiritual life. We're striving to do that here. And then look at verses 14 and 15, the last part of 14. He says, And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Not only did David teach, but David sang and praised God verbally. He promised to become a bolder witness, a faithful teacher, mentor, a singer, and praiser of God, because God had touched his life. He developed a vibrant testimony. Let me ask you a question. How fresh and up-to-date is your testimony? How fresh and up-to-date is, is your experience with God? Fourth, David had a heart ready for sincere worship. David had a heart ready for sincere worship. Look at verses 17 through 19. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, these, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. David knew God wasn't interested in him showing up and just going through the motions of worship, of ritual. He wasn't even interested in sacrifices or burnt offerings, as important as that was for the right reasons in that Old Testament context. God wants to see a heart broken over sin, and a heart that's full of praise for Him, a heart that's, that's turned to Him and completely focused on Him, a heart that's fully committed to Him, Worship every week is a great habit and a necessary spiritual discipline, and we need to be committed to it. But it can become just a habit. It's got to be more than that. Our heart, it's, a, it's a heart thing. Is your heart in it? When you come in here on Sunday mornings, are you prayed up? Are you caught up on your confession? Are you open to hear a word from the Lord? Is your focus in the right place? Worship is a heart thing. And He wants our hearts to be fully committed to Him. Let's ask this question. What does brokenness look like? In order to experience brokenness, we have to humble ourselves and remove all pride. Nancy, Nancy Lee DeMoss gives us these descriptions to help us know if our hearts are proud or if our hearts are broken. Proud people focus on the failure of others, she suggests. They have a critical fault-finding spirit. Broken people are overwhelmed with a sense of their own spiritual need. Proud people have to prove they are right. Broken people are willing to yield their right to be right. Proud people are protective of their time and their rights and their reputation. Broken people yield their rights. Proud people want to be served. They want to be a success. Broken people desire 
to serve others and help them become a success. Proud people are quick to blame others. Broken people are quick to forgive and overlook offenses. Proud people wait for others to come and ask for forgiveness. Broken people take the initiative to reconcile and restore relationships. Proud people compare themselves to others and think, I'm not so bad. Broken people compare themselves to the holiness of God. Proud people don't think they need revival and renewal. Broken people constantly sense their need for a fresh encounter with God and His touch of renewal. Which would you say describes your life at this moment? Are you proud or are you broken? Listen to this statement as we close. Nate Larkin said, What keeps most of us from God is not the sin we know we have, but the righteousness we think we have. Where do we need to turn this morning? To the God of mercy, as David did. To the God of grace, whose mercy is never exhausted. To to the God who wants to see us come back to Him. What is it that you need to do in your life this morning to come back to God? To strengthen your relationship with God? Maybe you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the starting point. And I strongly encourage you and appeal to you this morning to turn from your sin as you recognize your sinfulness. All of us are sinners by nature and by choice. And to place your trust, place your faith in Jesus as you call upon Him and invite Him to be your Savior, to give you the gift of forgiveness, to give you the gift of eternal life. We can talk to you about that. I'm available to you. You'll just grab me at the end of the service. Reach out to me if you're watching online at this email address. We want you to know for sure that you have eternal life and you're going to heaven when you die. That's life's most important decision. And there's no need to worry about that. You need to settle that. Don't procrastinate. Don't make excuses. You need to receive Jesus Christ today. And we can help you with that. Maybe you're interested in being baptized because you've accepted Christ, but you've never followed through in that that step of obedience. Or maybe you're interested in joining McDonough Road Baptist Church. How does that work? We want to help you with that. Reach out to me and let let, let us help any way that we can. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, for this opportunity to to get real and to hit hard what we need to do to prepare ourselves for these days of renewal. We pray, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to deal with the sin that's in our lives. Help us, Lord, to not be proud, but to be humble. And Lord, we pray that you'll touch us and renew our spirits, create a clean heart within each of us as we seek you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.